Thank you very much, Pastor Gerrit, for your words. And uh, I would like also to say thank you to New Life Church for supporting the vision of the elders of the church and also uh, giving generously for this pastoral program. So I would like also to say again good morning to everyone. Thanks again for being with us in this online service and uh, also to join us uh, for this worship. If this happened to be your first time with us, please notice that we are studying the Gospel of Luke. And as a church, we would like to understand who Jesus is and what he came to do. What is Jesus' mission in this world? And this morning, we will continue studying it from the passage in chapter 7, from verses 1 to 10, which is Luke's account of Jesus' healing of Jesus healing a servant of a Roman officer. I invite you to open your Bible in, the, our, in our passage today. And if you don't have one, you can follow the reading of, of the passage in your screen. Luke chapter 7 from verses 1 to verse 10. That says the word of God. After he had finished all these things in the hearing, oh, sorry, after he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am, un for I am not worthy to, to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you. But say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too, I am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent to return to the house, they found the servant well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer once again. Heavenly Father, we really praise you this morning, Lord. You say in your word that the entrance of your word gives light and understanding to the simple. And there in Jeremiah also you say that your word is like a hammer, O oh Lord, that destroys the rock. Lord, we pray this morning, Lord, in the power of your spirit, that you will open up our understanding for us to understand the scriptures. For us to understand who you are and who are we in you, Lord. Father, give me clarity and give me boldness, O oh Lord, to deliver your word to your people. May you speak to us, O oh Lord. And as you do that, I pray that our hearts will be changed and our lives will be changed for your name's sake and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last week we came to the end of Jesus' sermon 
in the mountain where he proclaims the kingdom of God and defines the radical values of this kingdom for his disciples. The kingdom of God brings and demands a radical reversal of priorities and a reordering of values to, to people that hear its proclamation and desire to enter into it. There must be a response from people that hear the proclamation of the good news of the kingdom of God. And that was very clear from the message Pastor Garrett has been sharing with us. That is what Jesus taught to his disciples and to the multitude in this sermon. And Luke, divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit, chooses to put this story that we just read after that sermon. The question can be then, why? Why did the Holy Spirit inspire Luke to write this story just after the sermon that Jesus delivered? Well, I think that Luke wants to show Theophilus to whom, and I, I, I hope we can remember from the first chapter, this letter is being written or these words are being written and also for us today how people will respond to this radical kingdom message from Jesus how they did that uh, then and how we do that today following the sermon Luke narrates a series of episodes illustrating people's response to Jesus to the message he has been proclaiming. And this is what we will see in the passage that we have today. Verses 1 gives us the context of this story. The location where this story takes place is the, the Galilean city of Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee. The verse says that after Jesus finished the sermon, he entered Capernaum. And in this city, they were stationed a centurion, a Roman officer in charge of hundred men, who had a servant who was sick and close to death. It is important for us to remember that in the time of this event, Jews and all the land of Judea were under the dominion of the Roman Empire. And this centurion stationed in Capernaum was a military in service of the Roman Empire who had crossed the sea with a band of soldiers for the purpose of accustoming the Jews to endure the yoke of the Roman tyranny. As we said earlier, and we see it in verse 2, this centurion had a servant who was dying of a sickness. And his attitudes towards his servant suggests to us that this centurion was different from the other Roman of officers. Though being Roman and in foreign land, he had other beliefs not common to the Romans. He had another faith. He was a faithful foreigner considered as a Gentile for the Jews. But he was a Gentile who believes and willingly yields into obedience to the God of Israel as we will see. And at the end of the story, Jesus commands the faith of this man who came to him to plea and sought for the healing of his servant. Brothers and sisters, friends, has, and just as Christ answered the plea and commanded the response in faith of this Gentile centurion 
who recognized who Jesus was and who he was in Christ, Christ can also answer and commend your faith in him today. As we look and understand the nature and the substance of the faith of this centurion, I pray that the Holy Spirit will stir up my and your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ today. In this narrative, Luke says that this servant, uh, the servant of this centurion, he was a dear to him. Like we see that very clearly in verse 2. And this fact anticipates a doubt which might arise in our minds. For we know that in ancient Roman time, slaves, servants, were not held in such uh, esteem as to make their master to be so concerned and caring about their life. Many servants, they were brutally abused by their masters. But not this one. So what was different in this Roman centurion's life? This leads me, leads us to our first point of this morning, which we found from verses 6 to the first part of, from verse 2 until the first part of verse 6. Let's read what the Bible says again. Now, a centurion had a servant who was sick at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, he is worthy to have you do this for him. For he loves our nation, and he is the one that built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. So, right here in verse 2, we can see this Roman centurion is a different man. His love for his servant was extraordinary. This amazing love crossed racial, social, and ethnic barriers. This man loved people who were not just himself. Here we see the heart of this compassionate centurion who loved his servant and sought to help him. He loved in a way that was not common in those days. Which makes me to think about the kind of love Jesus taught in his sermon, which most probably the centurion heard about. And here he was responding back by showing this uncommon love to his servant. You can ask, why, Pedro, do you think so? Look with me again the first part of verse 3. There, the Bible says, when the centurion heard about Jesus. So, what do you think then he heard about Jesus? I would like again to suggest to you that he heard the proclamation of the values and priorities of the kingdom of God preached by Jesus. He heard about the wonder signs that Jesus was performing around that area. Matter of fact is that the episode we studied earlier, uh, like few months or few weeks ago, in chapter 5 of this same book about the healing of the paralyte, this same episode or this event took place in that city of Capernaum the same city where the centurion was. And he most probably might have heard about all these things. I'm sure all that Jesus said because of his popularity in that region was a kind uh, resisted and uh, uh, in, in the front pages of the journals in uh, Galilee, 
is like the front page of Gulf News or the National or even Kalaji Times newspaper of Galilee. And hearing Jesus' teaching of true love, I believe this centurion decided to embrace that message. How do we know that? Well, here is a Roman centurion loving and caring for his servant, which was a slave. Brethren, this is uncommon love, not only in those days, but even today. And as per the teaching of the scriptures, only those who have the source of love in them can love in this function. Only in the hearts ruled and governed by God is where true love abides. The Bible says in the book of First John, chapter one, oh sorry, chapter four, verse seven to eight. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Friends, seeing how this foreigner, how this centurion had God's love and showed God's love to his servant, I believe that God's love was abiding in him. And there is no doubt for me about this fact, because even the Jews recommended this man for the affection and good zeal which he had for the fear of God, as we see in verse 5. Now, why is it important for us to remember or to be reminded about God's love? Even in the situation that we are living, why it is important, and Pastor uh, Garrett preached about that, that supernatural love that takes us to love our enemies, why it is important for us to be reminded or and for us to remember again about this? At least I can give you two uh, reasons. First, we know that many people, because of this coronavirus, families have been at home. At least in Angola and from official sources, they say that the level of abuse between husband and wife in this pandemic time has increased. Like uh, the violence at home, Home violence has increased highly. So I believe the love of God is not present in their family. Because if you love as Christ loved you, as he commanded you to love, we will be the husbands and the wives that will know how to love each other. So this is something that is real and important for us today. You can only be a good husband if God's love is in your heart. You can only be a good wife if God's love is in your heart. And you can only be a good child if God's love is in your heart. Is God's love abiding in you? The second motive or the second, uh, 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 the, second, yeah, the second motive is because the Bible warns us that in the last days, because the iniquity will increase, the love of many shall grow cold. Paul, in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he gets to the point to say that people will be heartless without any natural affection to one another. Can I ask you if you can realize that in the world today? 
That is why we as a church, we need the love of God abiding in our hearts. There is much to say about that. But I will just consider or ask you to consider, to think about that. And to protect your heart from any kind of offense. Be it from people that are closer to you. Be it from outside. Don't allow any root of bitterness come to your heart. Allow God's love to rule in your heart. And you can only do that if you allow God rule your life. And this is what we see in the life of these men. I can imagine this centurion having this servant in his arms while he asks the Jews' leader to find Jesus and ask him to come and heal his servant. This is called prayer. And this is prayer of intercession. This centurion, seeing the condition of his servant, he called out for help. And he goes and he asks people to go and find Jesus and bring him home for Jesus to heal his servant. This is prayer. This man was praying to Jesus for his servant. And he knew that if Jesus would come, his servant would be healed. And from the words we see in verse 4, I personally think that the earnestness uh, there talks more about the heart of the centurion than the elders of Jew who he sent to talk to Jesus in his behalf. I believe that those elders, when they saw the way the, uh, that man loved his servant, they expressed that to Jesus as well. My question to you this morning, who are you earnestly, fervently, intensely, and zealously praying for? Are you even praying? And when we pray, do we really expect Jesus to answer our prayer? Or do we just pray because the Bible says for us to pray in the same way the Pharisees, they prayed because the law said, <coughs> excuse me, that they had to pray. Do we even like or have pleasure in praying? Do we see our hearts burning for that time of fellowship with God? We have the opportunity in our church as a home group and as a church in collective, as a corporate body for us to pray. Every Monday or every Friday, sorry, before the online service right now, through the medium of Zoom, we gather together for prayer. I just want to encourage you for you to be part of that. That can be a good exercise for you and for me as well. Come and join us. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, verses 6, in King James Version, But without faith it is impossible to please Him, to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that He or that he exists, that God exists, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. In this verse, we can see both aspects of having faith, meaning believing in God, and, the, and, and to expect him to answer our prayer very clearly. My question to you again. Who are you earnestly praying for? When you pray, pray expecting Jesus to hear and answer your prayer. Mom and dad, if you are praying for your son, for him to know our Lord Jesus Christ, don't stop. 
don't stop. Pray zealously for him or for her. Ask God to illuminate his heart and his eyes, the eyes of his understanding, for him or for her to see Jesus, to see the glory of God in the face of our Lord Jesus Christ. But it needs to be an earnest prayer. I don't believe the words in the Bible are by accident. When the Bible states there that it was earnestly, I believe the Bible is meaning exactly that. It was a fervent prayer. When was the last time you did that for that beloved, that person that you are praying for? I strongly believe and I will suggest to you that these both aspects that we have just mentioning here, that faith, that expectation of answering, of answer prayer, was in the heart of this centurion as he sought Jesus for help for his servant. But you see, where did he go for help? Clearly, he went to Jesus. But why? He could go anywhere else. Why? He just went to Jesus. This leads me to our second point of this morning, which we find in verse, or from verse 6b till verse 8. The earnest recognition. Let's read again from verse 6. When he, talking about Jesus, was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too I'm a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. As we see, before Jesus could reach his house, the centurion sent his friends to Jesus to tell Jesus that it is not necessary for him to come to his house. As we see there in, in, in the end of verse 6 and beginning of verse 7. I presume that while Jesus was in his way to his house, the centurion starting meditating on what he heard about the healing of the paralytic in chapter 5. Because he brings two aspects of that story into his words to Jesus through his friend. See what he says first. Lord, and this point is very important. He's calling Jesus Lord. And you need to remember who was he. Do not trouble yourself because I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you. Please kindly notice here the contrast, the words of the elders, between the words of the elders of the Jews in chapter 4, in verses 4, rather, and of the friends in verse 6. Do you see a contrast there? The self-righteous Jews were saying, this man is worthy. And the man, through his friends, is saying, I am not worthy. This is like Peter saying, Depart from me, O Lord, for I am what? A sinner, a sinful man. We saw that in chapter 5, verse 8. This is like the publican putting his head down, and we will see that in Luke 9, 18, verse 13, 
when he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And he even didn't lift up his eyes up and look towards heaven because he was, he is, or he was so ashamed. And I believe also this is like the paralytic. When this centurion is say, I'm not worthy, is also like that paralytic in chapter 5 again from verse 17. Though he went to Jesus and he didn't speak a word, his heart was not transformed. That's why Jesus, knowing that, and we remember that meditation, that message, saw the condition of that man's heart and what Jesus told him. Man, your sins are forgiven you. This is the first thing we see from these centurions and from, and from his words when he says, Lord, I am not worthy. He earnestly recognized himself as a sinner. This Roman of officer, a man of considerable influence and power, was also uniquely humble. He regarded himself as undeserving of having Jesus come under his roof and even felt unworthy to meet Jesus in the street. But secondly, he recognized something else. Read with me the last portion in this section and we will see that. From verses, the part B of verse 7. But say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this. And he does it. You see, after recognizing who he was, and we saw that he sees himself as a sinner. He earnestly recognized also who Jesus was. And this is important here. I told you that he calls Jesus Lord. And he was a Roman and Jesus was a Jew, which was a city under the dominion of Rome. This is remarkable there. I think he had in mind also what he heard about in chapter 5, verse 20. When Jesus, because you will see there the topic of authority, and he brings that topic again into his words. And what did Jesus say there in chapter 5, verse, verse 20, when uh, Jesus confronted uh, the Pharisees there? But that you may know that the Son of Man has what? Authority on earth to forgive sins. He did the miracle. So Jesus was putting his authority. And now this centurion is acknowledging that authority. That's amazing. He knew who Jesus was. By recognizing Jesus' authority, there was an astonishing humility of this centurion in exalting so highly above himself a man who belonged to the conquered and the slave nation. But because he knew who Jesus was, he humbled himself and came to Jesus seeking help for his servant. And his faith, brothers and sisters, his faith, not in anyone, not anywhere else, but in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ, fueled his action and glorified and pleased Jesus. And we will see that.
Friends, for God to be glorified in saving the lost, those who are lost in sins, and make them his children, these two things that we just mentioned must occur. First, the sinner needs to recognize sincerely his condition before God as revealed in the scriptures. Out of a complete despair and brokenness of heart, considering God's judgment, God's judgment required for his sin. But at the same time, he needs to know God's way of salvation as revealed in the scriptures. And let me once again emphatically say that the scriptures affirm that there is only one way for salvation, namely through the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. He did for us what we could not do for ourselves or by ourselves. He completed the work pertaining to every part of our salvation. The Bible emphatically affirms that Jesus Christ is the only and unique Savior who through his sacrificial death fully carried the fullness of the sin of his people on the cross of Calvary and through his glorious resurrection imputed or attributed the benefits of his saving work to all who believe in him through the instrument of faith in him alone. Only then we are justified before God, not by our works. Justification is only, I repeat, only by faith in Christ alone. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 from verses 8 to 9, By grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Will you humble yourself and run to Jesus and come to Jesus by sincerely acknowledge and confess your sin to him and by faith receive the gift of salvation in Christ Jesus? You see, this is what I believe the centurion did. When he came to Jesus seeking for his help, he was fully aware of who he was and of who Jesus was. His faith on Jesus was the, confident, the confidence rather, and the assurance that his prayer would be answered. That's what Jesus uh, did. He answered the prayer of this centurion. But let's see then how Jesus did that. What Jesus' response was. And this leads us to our last point this morning from verse 9 to verse 10. The earnest commendation from verse 9 to verse 10. Let's read. When Jesus heard these things... He marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. You see, Jesus didn't find any fault with the centurion's words. He actually marveled at him and declares that they were, they were words of faith. Faith-fueled words. But just stop a second. Don't rush. You are talking Jesus marveling on 
the, the man's faith, on, when he heard that word, the Bible says that he marveled. The wonderful counselor, through whom heavens and earth were created, marveled at the faith-fueled words of this man. The faith-fueled foreigner is saying faith-fueled words. This reminds you, or reminds us again, when Pastor was talking about our words in chapter 6, verse 45. As the root is, so is the, the fruit. The words of this man was coming from a heart which was transformed by God's word. That's why the words were words of faith. The faith-fueled foreigner, he is saying faith-fueled words. He said to Jesus, just speak a word, Lord, and let my servant be healed. I know who you are. How is your faith in Christ today? The Bible says in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 13. And over there, the Bible is teaching us for us to examine ourselves in the light of the scriptures to see whether we are in fact in faith or not. How is your faith today? Does your faith please God? We read earlier in Hebrews 11:6 that without faith it is impossible to please God. And because the righteous shall live by faith, my brothers and my sister, I need to ask you one more time. How is your faith in Christ today? After lis listening to the words of the centurion, Jesus turned to the crowd that followed him and said, Not even in Israel I found so great faith. This is an astonishing to hear. I agree with one commentator when he said that there are at least two main possibilities or two main reasons why Jesus said these words to the Jew in the crowd. One was that we don't know the amount of information or knowledge this centurion uh, had about the law of Moses and the Judaism or the Judaic religion. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say much about it. About it. But for sure, comparing to the average Jew, I think that he did not know that much. But yet... What he heard about Jesus healed so sudden and abundant fruit and result. It was no smaller matter for him to declare in such highly terms the power of God, of which a few rays only were yet visible in Christ. Another reason was that while the Jews were excessively eager always to obtain outward signs, this Gentile and Roman officer asks no visible sign, but openly declares that he wants nothing more than a simple word from Jesus. Christ commended the faith of the centurion on the ground that he was resting and satisfied with the word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. This faith-fueled foreigner glorifies Christ by simply believing in the spoken word of God. 
What about us today? Do we believe in fact in God's spoken word? How highly we value and esteem God's words in our lives today? How much of ourselves we submit to the authority of God's words in our lives by living it out in all areas of our lives? Again, as a church, we have several platforms to equip us, to equip the saints to know the word of God. When we read the last verse, it is evident from this passage how graciously Christ pours out his grace when he finds the vessel of faith open. Though he addresses these words to the centurion, there can be no doubt that in his person he invites us all to have hope, faith, and, expect, and to expect great things in him. Yes, we are also taught the reason why God is, for the most part, so limited in his communication to us. It is because of our unbelief. Our unbelief that does not permit him to talk to us or to be liberal to us. If we open up the entrance of him by faith in our hearts, he will listen to our supplication and to our prayers. One, one example of this is uh, George Miller. Pastor Ryan Fullerton from Emmanuel Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. He shared a message uh, that our professor in, in our prayer discussion topic in this pastoral program uh, shared with us. This pastor then tells this story about George Miller. Miller and other men were sailing to Canada where he had to preach in Quebec. And when they were off the banks of New Foundland, a dense and thick fog had come and covered them that the ship was not going anywhere. Mueller then went to the captain of the ship who was also, who was also a believer and said to the captain, Captain, I have come to tell you that I must be in Quebec on Saturday afternoon. And this episode happens on Wednesday. It is impossible, the captain replied. Very well. If your ship cannot take me, God will find some other means of locomotion to take me. I have never broken an engagement 57 years, Mueller re replied. How willing help you, but how can I? I am helpless, said the captain. Let us go down to the short room and pray, Mueller said to the captain. And the captain looked to George Miller, and uh, he just thought in himself, what a lunatic asylum could this man have come from? I have never heard such, uh, such a thing. Mr. Mueller, the captain said, do you know how dense this fog is? And Mueller replied, no, I don't know. My eye is not on the density of the fog, but on the living God who controls every circumstances of my life. Mueller then went down on, on his knees and he prayed one of the simplest prayers. The captain fought again to himself. That, would, that prayer would sweet a children's class where children were not more than eight or nine years old of age. The burden of Mueller's prayers was something like this. O oh Lord, if it is consistent with thy will, please remove this fog. 
you know the engagement you made for me in Quebec for Saturday. I believe it is your will. When Mueller finished praying, the captain was going to pray, and Mueller just put his hands in the shoulder of the captain and said, please, don't pray. No pray, don't pray. First he said to the captain, because I know that you don't believe that God will do it. And secondly, I believe he has done it. And there is no need whatever for you to pray about that again. The captain looked at him. And George Mueller said to, to him, Captain, I have known my Lord for 57 years. And there was never been a single day that I have failed to gain an audience with the king. Get up, Captain, and open the door. And you will find that the fog is gone. The captain got up and the fog was gone. On Saturday afternoon, George Miller was in Quebec. Let us have our faith in God. Let us have our faith in Christ through his word. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word. And again, Lord, we acknowledge that only by the illumination of your spirit, we are able to understand your word. I pray, Lord, that you may strengthen us, O oh Lord, in our inner man, Lord. I pray that this word that we just heard will stir up our faith to you and will cause us to know you more and more, for us to really come to your presence, O oh Lord, acknowledge who you, who you are and what you have done for us, in the cross of Calvary. Lord, I pray that through the agency and help of the Holy Spirit, you may allow these words to bear fruit in our hearts in due season. For your name's sake and for your glory. We pray all this in our Lord Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, join with us as we sing our last song. Let your kingdom come.